Mac Power Users, episode 632, Be the Most Mac Pro. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I'm on vacation. Well, yes. not today, but in a few days. So yeah. recording a little early. Uh, I'm really looking forward to having some time off, going to the mountains, visiting some family. But there's important Mac stuff to talk about. And there I get to talk about is. it with one of my favorite people. So it's going to be great. Yeah, I haven't talked to anybody about this, uh, really, because I've been off away a little bit myself for a few days. And uh, quite an announcement we got this week mm-hmm. from Apple. Um, I really did not expect it. And th- as this show publishes, the news is a week and a half old, so we get it. But we still have opinions. We want to share yeah, them. we do. Um, the uh, So the big announcement and let's just skip all the stuff about the iPhone SE and stuff. We'll just talk about the Mac. Yeah. Um, so Mac Studio. First of all, let's just talk about the name. I love the name. I think it's an awesome name. It's growing on me. I'm sure you remember, and I'm sure people in our audience remember, when MacBook Pro was a new brand, right? You wind yeah. the clock back to 2006. People were like, what? That's a terrible name. And look, PowerBook, a very good name. Right. Very good. But now like MacBook Pro just is the name, right? Like no one has feelings about it. I think Mac Studio will get there. What I'm really interested in seeing, though, what I want to really I want your take on this uh, is that it feels like Studio could be it could be a brand that that crosses a lot of lines. And so. Think about air, right? You have the MacBook Air thin and light. You have the iPad Air, which is kind of like the middle of the road, slightly lighter iPad. I think iPad Air is kind of a kind of a name that's gotten lost a little bit uh, over time. But it feels like Studio could be a brand for this sort of mid-range, mid to high-range machine. So say that they, uh, you know, what would this look like as a laptop? What would it look like as an audio product? Like, do you see ways that, you know, quote, Studio could be expanded beyond this this one machine or am i just am i just like excited about things i think you're on it i mean there was a big rumor that the airpods max were going to be called airpod studio and i don't know why maybe they just didn't want to drop the penny that early i don't know but the um uh i like for instance i've always called my workspace the studio Mm -hmm. and it's like a point of pride for me but it's also like a mindset word right I'm going into the studio. What do you do in the studio? You create things in a studio. Right. You know, you don't goof off. You don't shop Amazon in a studio, but you make things in the studio. So I, I like the word already. And um, and I always felt like the the term pro was kind of fraught. You know, it was. it's mm. like, how do you define what a pro is? I mean, there are people that make a lot more money on their computers than I do that don't need anything more than a MacBook Air. Yeah. But are they pro? You know, I mean, it's like, it's just, it's never really landed with me where a studio is almost like a context more than like a label of me. It's a, it's a context of the computer. So yeah, it, it doesn't take time to grow on me at all. I immediately loved it. When I saw the rumors of it, I, uh, um, 
I didn't like the look of the rumored computer, but I did like the word. And, um, and I really thought that it would be like at least summer before we saw this ultra chip, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The chip is, is almost as exciting as the product because this, this, it further proves that Apple Silicon is incredibly scalable. So you have the M one, and then the M1 Pro and the M1 Max and now the Ultra, which is basically two M1 Maxes sort of like welded together with some fancy interconnect technology that I do not pretend to understand. <laughs> but yeah, me either. It's a very fast bus. I got that. Yeah, so. it's incredibly fast and everything just scales. So you get twice the CPU cores, twice the GPU cores, twice the RAM ceiling. And it seems like on the benchmarks, um, this chip is it's basically a um, an M1 Max times two, and yeah, if you take the benchmarks and you apply a two X formula to them, they generally line up. And um, you know they figured a way to to uh, double the capacity of everything, and uh, that's very impressive. And it's not shocking. I mean, uh, I think it was Mark Gurman last year who said this. He said there's another iteration that's a four X. You know, that's mm-hmm. four times an M1 Max. And um, and I guess we'll see when they announce the pro. I mean, we'll, we'll get to the pro in a minute, but the um, the ultra looks like a very impressive chip that is uh, beyond the capacity of just about everyone I know. But it's still awesome that it exists. It totally is, and and to your point about what studio means, like Apple's whole pitch for this is. There are people who really have demanding workflows, but what was unsaid is the Mac Pro isn't the right fit, right? And that there's room for this middle ground of people who do real work and like real intense workflows on Mac OS who are best served by something that sits on their desk, but is really powerful. And that's, I think that speaks to a really broad audience, well, I mean, they took the performance of the Mac Pro, the one that you and I got to go see the premiere of. Yeah, what was <laughs> the one I'm, in, I'm speaking the one to you on? The one you're sitting in behind, <laughs> yeah. Which is now what a two and a half year old computer. It is. Yeah, and they completely pantsed it with um, benchmarks. I mean, they just like destroyed it. And um, but then there's also a new Mac Pro coming based on Apple Silicon, and I feel like. The existence of this computer, this this Mac Studio, which is at two and four thousand dollars respectively as a starting price, opens the floodgates for them to make like a ten thousand dollars starting price Mac Pro that's yep. going to be completely bananas. Mm-hmm. I think it does too. It's really been, I mean, kind of with the iMac Pro, I think is like the closest recent thing we can point to that's like this. Yeah, but they really kind of carved out this middle ground. In the product lineup now, that's, you know, the Mac Mini and the iMac have the same performance. They're both the M1, which is kind of the form factor and price that you you want there. But with this, they're saying, look, a lot of people need more than that, but don't want or need a machine of the caliber of the Mac Pro. And, you know, in the past, really up until two weeks ago, when all this sort of came came, uh, to a head... The answer was you get a nice MacBook Pro, right? That was kind of the middle ground. Uh, maybe a, a highly spec 27-inch iMac. But those, to a degree, I think, were like a round peg in a square hole a little bit. And this thing 
you know, seemingly, you know, uh, they're going to be out uh, very soon as, as this episode comes out. It really seems like it's built for the, that type of user. And, you know, you can spec it up and you can spend quite a bit of money on one, but you don't have to. And even even I think at the the lower end of the Mac Studio lineup with the M1 Max, we've seen what that chip does in the MacBook Pro. And it's incredibly impressive in a laptop. Yes. So, yeah, yes. Put it in a tiny desktop that I bet will be silent because it's designed for a system that runs twice twice as many transistors as it has. Yeah. It's like it's such a, a good and interesting product fit to me and not one that I really saw coming. And there were rumors the very last minute, but it didn't really come close to what this thing actually is. And I mean, we've said this now for two years, like how exciting of a time it is to be a Mac user like this boy, is it? Yeah. It's like, um, you know, driving in fog, but the fog is lifting. And, um, so now we see that on the, on the desktop Mac, you've got an entry level M one, which is good enough for most people. Then you've got the Mac studio, which is, um, amazing for almost everyone. And they've told us there is a Mac, Pro coming, which is going to be the right computer for very few people mm-hmm. that really need that processing power. And I, I don't know, I, that's going to be a real fun day to see what they announce. Obviously yeah. it's going to be something that's <laughs> going to be completely crazy, but, but so they've got like this, oh, and then I left out the, the M1 iMac. So they've got the all-in-one there too. Mm-hmm. To me, this Mac studio really resonates with me. And, um, just the mm. whole idea of it, uh, the input and output on the back of it and the front of it. Right. Um, ports on the front. You know, David, you know how long it's yeah. been since there have been ports on the front of a computer that Apple sells? I looked it up. Yeah. How long? Uh, let me guess. Was it in the 90s? It was 10 years ago. Okay. The yeah. the, the, the cheese grater Mac Pro oh, had ports right. on the front. And then yeah. the trash can got rid of that. The Mac yeah. Mini's never had them. The iMac's never had them on the front. It's been a decade. And let me tell you, about a bajillion professionals out there have something like a CalDigit or an OWC dock under their display because they need to plug things in. And like, I have an SD card in mind right now that was supposed to go in a recorder that I put up earlier today. Like, it yeah. it is such a nicety to have those things. I mean, we've linked to over the years and talked to over the years about accessories, you know, to put ports on the front of your iMac little thing that hangs from the bottom. Like, they just did it. They just put it on the front it's two USB-C ports on the M1 Max. If you do the M1 Ultra, they're Thunderbolt ports. And an SD card slot. It's like, that's exactly what I want on the front of my computer. A couple of ports, you know, to charge my keyboard or to plug in a jump drive or, you know, a random external drive and an SD card slot. Like, yeah, they built this computer in, like, lockstep with the people who are going to use it. And those people who look at a machine like this they have workflows that depend on things like SD cards and external yeah. drives. And so just put them on the front. And as soon as I saw that, you know, they were sort of unveiling it. I was like, I don't care what else they tell us about this computer. They've got it right. Like the decision to put ports on the front of it at Apple the first time in 10 years, like that means the conversation happened and the conversation went the way that I wanted it to. Yeah. It's just like, it's like a, um, it's like a leading indicator of this is what we need. Right. Yeah. And, I continue to believe that pro uh, user group, what do they call it again? The 
um, you know, the creatives people that they mm-hmm. brought into Apple. The pro um, workflow team. Pro workflow team. I continue to believe they have enough sway to actually get the hardware made the way pros want to use the hardware. And yeah. I would feel like this is another example of that. And when you look at the whole line now, the Mac, I mean, the laptops are covered from entry level to very powerful. The desktops are entry level to very powerful and ridiculous powerful is promised. I guess let's take take a minute to just talk about that at the end. John Turner says, oh, yeah, and there's one more. It's the Mac Pro, but that's a story for another day or something to that effect. <laughs> he, he loved delivering that line. You can yeah. tell, right? I, I kind of, I, I imagine that in the, uh, you know, I'm sure they rehearse all of this to a T, right? It's all like perfectly done. Like, I, if it were me, I would wink, right? I'd be like, there's one more. Like, I'm sure, you know, did it take like every fiber of his being not to wink? Because that's, that's how I would be. I would not only wink, I would in post-production put one of those little stars on your eye and go ding when you wink. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I really think that the obvious platform for that is three months at WWDC. 100%. To say, oh, we told you something was coming and here it is. And yeah, it is going to be ridiculous mm-hmm. in, in both performance and price. And uh and that's okay. It's not. We're not going to have a Pro Display XDR reaction because they gave us the Mac Studio. Right. Yeah. I mean, you said it earlier. This frees the Mac Pro up to be bananas. Yeah. You know, back in the in the day, like I talked about to Jason Snow about this last week. Like, if you just wanted like a a decent Mac, you could just go get a Power Mac for like eighteen hundred dollars. Right. And you could put your hard drives in it and your cards in it. And that's just not the way the world works anymore. And I think that's for the most part good that the world doesn't work that way anymore. That these computers are so much more powerful and so integrated and so uh, efficient. All that's possible because of this new technology. But the the reason I think some people were like sort of stunned at the price of the Mac Pro and the Pro Display XDR is because there was no middle ground, right? It was you went from an iMac all the way up to this Mac Pro that could cost easily three, four, or five times as much. And now that that path's a little bit smoother, right? That if the Mac yeah. Pro is out of your budget, like that's totally fine because there's this other thing that's like the pressure release valve that will let the Mac Pro like be the most Mac pro it can be. Yeah. I mean, good on Apple. I, I'm just so happy with the general state of Mac hardware right mm-hmm. now. I just, I'm thrilled. I mean, uh, software, you and I've talked, you know, we've got some issues, but yeah, the, what they are doing with hardware on the Mac now, it, it's like, if you, uh, if you, you know, if you, um, asked me a couple of years ago, you know, you sky is the limit sit down and write your favorite, you know, your best plan for the Mac. If you could, you know, be in control, you know, that question I always ask listeners, if I, you were Tim Cook, what would you do with the Mac line? I don't know if I'd have the imagination to do what this line is now. It's just so amazing. Built-in silicon, super fast, long battery life, you know, um, stays cooled. The fans don't blow all the time. And now like a third line of computers in the middle. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just, stunned and thrilled all at once i i think this is great news well let me ask you about something that that it this i think some people will think is missing 
is yeah. the the 27 inch iMac. So Turner said, "There's one more. It's the Mac Pro. You know, if he was me, winking at the camera, a star in his eye, kind of moment." And when this when the site sort of came back, all refreshed with these new products, the 27 inch iMac, which was still an Intel machine, is just gone. And there's this quote that Apple gave to Ars Technica saying that the uh, the 27 inch iMac reached the end of life, which is like the nice term that you know. It's gone. Yeah. It's not coming back. And I think there's a couple of ways we can look at this. Maybe it is coming back in the future as an iMac Pro. And like maybe Apple didn't realize that Turnus's language, like maybe they just kind of created a situation that's not really there. Oh, no, no. They realized it. They, or, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Or they, they see the Mac Studio and the Studio Display, which we haven't even talked, we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. But they see that as a replacement for the 27 inch iMac that hey the 24 inch is bigger and more powerful than it used to be but if you do want a little more you can do this now the problem is the price for a mac studio and studio display is higher than the base 27 inch iMac was but do you think that people like if say that you're a 27 inch iMac owner now you know maybe you've got that first 5k 27 inch iMac that a bunch of us ran for a long time that was awesome yeah and when it's time to replace that, okay, you have these these other options. Do you think that those customers have a place to go between the 24-inch iMac and the Mac Studio? Or do you feel like that 27-inch iMac spot really should be like should be a product? Well, I definitely have thoughts here. Um, first, I'd like to start with some context. Um, you and I have complained on the show frequently about the iPhone sizes and the problem is, um, and I think of, I have a couple of people in my my life who want a big iPhone but don't need a powerful iPhone. Yes, and the only choice they have is to get the iPhone Pro Max. They don't need the Pro stuff; they just want the Max. And why don't they make the the standard iPhone in a you know in the standard size and a big size? Um, so historically, they did that with the iMac. They had the standard size and the big size. And now the question is, it seems at least for probably the next few years, there is a one size of an iMac. And if there is no big size, but they have added this monitor and we'll, we'll come back and talk about the monitor in a minute. But I think Apple's attitude is we're going to make one iMac and this is the iMac. And if you want something bigger, by one of our components that is a computer brain and our new screen Mm -hmm. or some other screen if you don't want to spend that much money sure and um you can get a mac mini for a thousand bucks and you can get uh, one of apple's displays for 1600 i believe yeah yeah so for 2600 dollars, you can have a great mac if you think you need more brains, you can spend $2,000 on a Mac Studio. And for $3,600, you can have a great Mac, but you get to choose. And um, as you upgrade Macs, you don't need to upgrade your screen. And we don't want to be in the business of maintaining all of these all-in-ones. I think that's kind of their attitude. Hmm. And I think they're probably going to see how that goes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, if they get a lot of pushback, you know, maybe we see uh, a bigger iMac, you know, down the road. Maybe when the M2 family of processors comes out or something like that. Um, I just found it, you know, very interesting because the 27-inch iMac has been such a, 
at least in our world of like prosumer users, like yeah. it's been such a uh, a mainstay for especially in the five k era. So yeah. we will see. Uh, I guess we'll see where that goes. But very interesting. I think sort of a uh, a weird uh, hiccup after this event trying to figure out what all this means. Well, and I think you know they're very intentionally silent on it. I think that internally they've probably decided they don't want to make two IMAX. And if yeah. everybody loses their mind, they'll probably reconsider <laughs> that, that. Yeah. I mean, look, Apple is a company now, especially with the Mac, seems very willing to unmake decisions. Yeah. <laughs> right? So like it five years ago, be like, no way. It's it's done. The book is closed on this. But now it's like, you know, I think they would probably go back on this if they need to. I honestly um I mean, I get that there are people out there that just want an iMac, a big iMac, and I get it. I honestly think the solution they have is a pretty good one. Um, I think when we get to the M2 uh, Mac Mini, because there's a lot of rumors that it's going to get redesigned and probably more ports and be a better Mac Mm -hmm. Mini. Um, You'll probably get more RAM. I think you'll be able to spec a Mac Mini for a reasonable price into something that can work for a lot of people. And and then you can pick the display. I mean, Apple's display is going to be great, but there are a lot less expensive displays out there. I mean, you can get a $400 display that's pretty good too, you yeah. know? So, you know, it's going to be up to folks to kind of make their decisions. And maybe that's the problem is people don't want to have to make a lot of decisions and, and they're making it harder for people to buy their stuff. And But I also think that Apple has a lot of smart people that have access to a lot of numbers you and I don't. And I don't think they would have done this lightly. Mm, yeah. But um, but par- personally, with the existence of now a reasonably priced Retina 5K monitor, there's no way I would have bought a souped-up iMac. Hmm. I would much rather have the ability to have the brain and the screen as separate devices. To me, I mean, that's that makes more sense if I was going to be building one. Yeah, I mean, you can you know, have a display and use it for, uh, you know, potentially as long as the IO doesn't drastically change yeah. a very, very long time and swap out whatever is hooked up to it. Right. And that was always a knock against the iMac and particularly the big one. It's like, yeah. this is a beautiful, amazing display. And when the computer behind, behind it croaks, then it's a paperweight. Right. And, yeah. and you can, if you can, if you can, take those things apart, then it means that you don't have, you're not tied together forever. So uh, it is, it is very interesting. And I definitely love the 27 inch iMac. I've had a, a couple of them over the years and have recommended a lot of them. And I, I will be very curious to see, you know, as people continue to make this jump to Apple Silicon, like where, where those people will go with it. And yeah, no, uh, but, if I had the option when I bought my iMac Pro to buy something like the Mac Studio plus a separate screen, I would have done that. Yeah. And then, like, then I would have had, you know, I don't know. It just, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. But I have heard from listeners of the show and readers and labs members who are really upset and they really just want a big iMac. And I feel like the current trajectory is you're not going to get it. Um, maybe as time goes forward, Apple may make the 24 inch iMac into the 27 inch iMac. I don't know. It gets bigger again. I mean, definitely. I mean, and, but you know, looking at the parallel of the phone, I think Apple's perfectly happy to make you buy something else rather than 
then give you, you know, the low end thing with the big screen. It seems like that's like something they're already not doing. And yeah. um, I'm not as upset about it as some people are. And that's probably selfishly because I'm just, I wouldn't be that interested in it, but I get that people want it. Um, although from everything I've seen, it looks to me like you are not going to get it unless Apple has a change of heart about it. And even if they did, it would be probably a couple of years before you saw it. Yeah. So, so kind of bundling up the, the Mac studio, is this a machine that you're interested in? You know, if I didn't own this amazing laptop, I would, I I mean, I'm in a really weird spot right now where I'm about to spend a lot of money on construction. You know, we're adding a, the studio, the studio, I'm adding a studio to that. I'm Mm -hmm. getting my own, I'm getting a different kind of studio. Um, and so I'm not that excited about spending a lot of money right now. I'm really happy with this laptop uh, and the Pro Display XDR. Although I had an issue, I have the weirdest troubleshooting issue ever. We're going to talk about it in um, more power users later today. But the um, but no, it works great. You know, you plug it in, everything works. And right now, I'm uh, I'm closing in on the shortcuts for Mac Field Guide, and I'm recording in like every flipping room in the house. You know, because <laughs> we got stuff going on, and it's just like a whole bunch of things going on in the house right now. And, th- and then they're going to get ready to start jackhammering stuff, and so i um I need this thing more than ever now, um so I'm just sticking with my laptop and my amazing screen. I'm not though saying I will never get one i mean mm-hmm. i I think it really does appeal to me. I mean part of it honestly is branding. It's like, oh, I want to have a Mac studio. I'm in a you know <laughs> but but it's more than that. I mean, like having a really stable thing with because I really have a spaghetti town in back of my laptop with the with input and output, having all those outputs and having the ability, like when I'm screencasting to plug directly into the front of the device without having to go through some sketchy third party thing. I mean, there, there's all, I think it would be good for me. Um, but I'm not that eager to spend the money right now. And right now with me building this construction, I feel like what I really need is what I have. So I'm, I'm okay. I know there's a thing going on in the forums, you know, predicting how long it would be before I had one, Mm. And I'm not necessarily just checking out of that, you know, <laughs> sure. so, yeah, talk to me again in three to six months. I don't know, but yeah. I mean, for now I'm happy to like, let the initial ones get out there and hear what people think of them. Yeah. And you need the flexibility, right? You, yeah. that you can take that yeah, laptop really, yeah. and just go when dudes are busting up concrete four feet away from your desk. <laughs> yes, I do. And, <laughs> and I really need to talk. I don't know if this is the segment to talk, maybe we'll talk about it later, but having one Mac is, is a problem for me. Mm. Um, but either way, uh, how about you? I ordered one. Oh, that's right. I knew that. You, yes. you ordered one. Yeah, yeah okay. I ordered. Let me pull up my config for everybody. I ordered one with the M1 Max. Uh, I didn't feel like the Ultra is, was the best use of, a, of $1,200 or whatever it was to upgrade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I did take the uh, the storage all the way up to 8 terabytes, and I did the uh the memory up to 64 gigabytes so i maxed out the memory and storage with the m1 max so i feel like that storage is like one of those buy once cry once situations because you know with people like you and me who are like doing a lot of video it is so easy to fill up your drive and um now are you going to be replacing your mac pro with this i am yeah this the mac pro will go on sale uh, th- my, my Mac studio doesn't show up until like the first week of April. Cause it's a custom order. They take a little bit longer Yeah, and I'm going to move everything over. I was contemplating a clean 
install. And I may still do that depending on like what, just how my schedule looks when it gets here, but I'll probably migrate. I actually think a clean install makes a lot of sense when you're going from Intel to Apple Silicon. Yeah. Yeah. And if like, I haven't done it in a long time on my main machine. I feel like if there's a time I'm, uh, you know, I may make the time to do it. Maybe I take a weekend and and rebuild everything. It doesn't take as long as it used to. That's true. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm going to have that. I'm keeping my pro display, uh, keeping, you know, I did buy a new keyboard, which I'll have a touch ID keyboard floating around, which I'm, I'm very excited about having touch ID on the desktop. Like, I don't, I just something about it makes me so excited because I love having it on my laptop. And yeah. there are times where I sit down at my Intel Mac pro and I put my finger on what is the eject key. I'm like, why doesn't, why am I not being logged in? It's like, Oh, right. Not touch ID. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about it. You know, I'm going to sit it, uh, behind my display somewhere and I've got to, I got to still work out. I mean, I have my backup drives obviously internal to the Mac pro, so they will have to come external. So I have this, a a to-do list after vacation to look at OWC and look what I have and, you know, make sure I get a, a couple of enclosures that work for me, but I can stack those drives on top of the Mac studio behind the display. They'll be hidden from view. Uh, or put them under the desk the way you do. So I'm excited. You can repurpose. So you can repurpose the drives inside your Mac Pro for yes. that. Yeah, because I have in the Mac Pro, I mean, the internal SSD obviously will go with the machine. But my yeah. other storage I have, I'm using 2.5-inch Samsung SSDs that you can just put into an enclosure and even into a laptop. So those can just come off. They're all on, on a card. And so I can take them off the card and put them in an enclosure and reset them up. So uh, that that I don't foresee being any problem. It's kind of a bummer to have them external, but um, I'm really excited about this machine. And it, it's already going to be so much faster than my Mac Pro in a lot of ways. Some ways it, it, they're pretty neck and neck. In some ways it'll, it'll be noticeably faster, but I'm excited about joining Apple Silicon across the board. And yeah. your electric bill will go down. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, and part of it is too, like, you know, this is a business, right? And so getting out of the Mac Pro before the values really tank is important. Uh, Mike I Hurley agree. in particular is trying to get me to keep it, but it's like, that's a very expensive collection item. So I don't no. think I'll be doing that. No, don't keep it. I, so, I would absolutely sell it while it's yep. still got some. There are pros that want Intel. Totally. I, mean, I did the same thing with my iMac Pro. I, I felt like it was like a stock that was about to tank. And when I got an offer on it that gave me something that was useful in return, I took it. And um, I feel like you should do the same thing with your Mac Pro. You will be able to buy one cheap um, in a few years. So don't worry about it. And a couple things. First of all, the decision of Mac versus Ultra. I want to give you my formal blessing. I think that's the right move. I suspect that the, the, first of all, I don't think you need the Ultra for what you do. No, no. And secondly, I think the cooling situation is going to be really good for the max version. And for the ultra, it may be really good too. It's two pounds heavier. Apparently the heat sink is copper in the ultra one, mm-hmm. but there is a chance I feel like with all that silicon burning in there that it may be, you know, more of a challenge to be silent. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and if you're not going to be using the power, but it's, just, it means that the fans blow more because it's just so much bigger Yes. Um, that could be an issue. So I, I think you're probably right. I mean, we'll know once these things start shipping and people like start testing them. But, and if any, you know, all Apple Silicon so far has ran really cool. So maybe that's not even an issue. But 
but I think you're probably, you bought the right one for you. And I, you know, the storage, I totally get where you're coming from. I'm, I'm already almost full with four terabytes. I mean, the Max Sparky labs, I am burning through video, like nobody's business right now. So, but I'll, I'll figure out a off storage thing. I'll, I'll make it work. Um, the, um, and just getting rid of the Mac pro don't feel bad, man. I mean, it just, it happens, you know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. get what you can for it and yeah. turn the page. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, you summed up my thought. Exactly. I don't need the power of the ultra and I want this thing to be as silent as possible, especially since it's going to be on the desk. It'll be behind the display, but like I, I record audio a bunch. So, so that headroom is really important to me. And my guess is, I mean, even looking at the MacBook pros, they don't really spin the fans that hard that often. And so I would imagine that at least when I'm sitting here recording, when I'm not running very much, that it would be, it would be totally silent. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think this is a really cool machine. I think it, it fits a really interesting point in the Mac lineup. And I'm, I'm excited to have one here on my desk in a few weeks. Yeah, I agree. I, I was with some friends when the keynote played and several of them are Apple enthusiasts and they were buying their new stuff and, it was very exciting to see people getting these new Mac studios. And that's the perfect Mac for you, I think. I mean, whatever that Mac Pro is, it's going to be way more than than you or I need. Uh, I mean, I'd Agreed. be shocked. I mean, I, maybe we've got some high-end users in the odds. I'm sure we do that will need it. But I think it's going to be really a niche product. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. We live in a complicated age. We all have countless online accounts Things like social media to online shopping, banking, and beyond. Each one of those accounts needs to have a secure, unique password to keep us safe. That's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create and store those passwords, and you don't have to remember them because they're stored in 1Password on all of your devices. So if you're at home at your Mac or your PC or in the office or on the go, you can log into all of your accounts easily. With 1Password for families, you can share login information with the most important people in your life. And with 1Password for teams, you can create 1Password vaults for different coworkers, and you can manage them with really fine-grained control. So only the people who need access have access. 1Password works across a wide range of browsers and devices. So just looking around my office, I have it running on my Macs, on my PC, my iPhone, my iPad, and Android phone. It's all there, ready to go. And Agile Bits, the people behind 1Password, always stay on top of the newest OS features. So if Apple or Microsoft or Google have new features that make logging in easier, things like Touch ID or Face ID or Safari Password Autofill, they're always there adopting those features to make 1Password better and better. Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you do, you'll get 20% off. That's onepassword.com slash MPU. We didn't talk about the display in much detail. Let's talk about the studio display. Um, they got a, you know, a 5K display. It's the same panel that's in the current shipping 5K iMac, largely. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a few differences. It is not like the super you know, just promotion display that we get on the MacBook Pro because there was some rumors that they were working on one and I don't know, maybe they still are. I don't know, but this is a, a basic solid Apple display 
that includes a, a good quality camera and good quality speakers. So you kind of get that all in one experience. It's also a Thunderbolt hub. You plug in the back of it and you can plug other stuff into it. And the pricing is not $6,000, which is very good, right? You know, um, it's 27 inches, not 32, like the pro display XDR. And it's, it doesn't get as bright. Um, but this is the display that, you know, 99% of the people is good enough for, you know, almost everyone, including you and me. I mean, and, um, and it looks like, you know, kind of what we've been asking for. I mean, did you have any complaints with it? No, I really don't. I mean, for years, people said, take the iMac display and put it in a case. <laughs> and that's what they've done. Yeah. Uh, it is slightly brighter. It's 100 nits brighter than the than the iMac display. But that's, a. I mean, going 500 to 600 nits is not drastic in yeah. real-term usage, I don't think. Uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed with the price. You know, you can definitely, like we said earlier, you can buy something that's pr- honestly pretty good. Uh, for less, but if you want the Apple experience with one cable and it looks really good and has you know nice speakers and a nice camera, uh, fifteen ninety nine is is lower than I you know I kind of thought it may be two grand. So seeing fifteen ninety nine is nice. Yeah, I totally expected nineteen ninety nine when when they were going through it. And they're like, oh, and we got these great speakers and a really good camera. I'm like, ah, gonna be two thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. uh, they, they got under that. Yeah. You can spec it up so you can do the nano texture glass, which first showed up as a thousand dollar option on yeah. the Pro Display XCR. Here it's three hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they're getting better at it, probably. Yeah, yeah. Pr- yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've heard I've never I saw one in that demo room, but I've heard from people who have them and say that it's amazing looking. No, no, I remember when we were at the Mac Pro premiere, and I'm I said, "Can I touch it?" And they're like, "No." Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, can I use your polishing cloth on it? And they said, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just kept, they just kept saying no. And then they never invited us back. So maybe that's why. <laughs> well, they ha- to, to be fair, they haven't had an event since then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but what's also cool is you can order different stands. Now, the stand you order it with is the stand that it has forever. You can't change them from anything that I've seen. No, you can't. Yeah, I looked into it. Okay. You have the traditional tilt adjustable stand like the iMac where it's always the same height, but it tilts forward and back a little bit. Uh, that one comes just with the display. So you get the tilt adjustable dis- stand, fifteen ninety nine. You can add tilt and height adjustable stand for $400. This looks like the Pro stand that the Pro Display XDR comes with. The design yeah, is like, very similar. The cantilevered hinge, yeah. Right. It is uh, slightly different in that it does not offer rotation like the Pro Display XDR does. So you can spin the Pro Display XDR into vertical, like a vertical layout. This stand doesn't offer that. And its overall range of movement... I believe is slightly less than the pro display XDR, but still a very nice option, especially if you're someone like me, like the default iMac height is too low. When I had my iMacs and my iMac pro, I had a little sandwich of an original time capsule and original Apple TV as a stand to get it up high enough for me for it to be ergonomically correct. If that's how you've always had to operate, and you've got the 400 bucks, like the, t- the, the height adjustable stand seems like a really good option. If I was buying yeah. one, that's what I would get. Yeah. And to add to it, I mean, on the iMac, there was always the chin 
right? Mm-hmm. There's no chin on this, so it's even lower. Um, so I, I I agree. I think that you take a long look at these before you buy one. And if you don't want to give Apple 400 bucks, they have a Visa mount version. And you can put that on any Visa mount you want. And, and that one you can spin sideways if you have a Visa mount that has a spinner right. in it. And mm-hmm. those are a lot cheap. For $400, you can get a very nice Visa mount. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you can get so a baller Visa mount for that. Yeah, or or four really nice Visa mounts. You know? I mean, so... <laughs> So, um, there's, but that's, I like that, that there's options, but it is, you know, once you buy it, you're stuck with it. You can't turn a visa mounted one into like, put it on an Apple stand. Although they make visa mounts that kind of look like Apple stands, but not Mm -hmm. quite as good. Yeah. But I, I really think that's kind of what we wanted. And if they add anything more, that's great. You know, I'm sure they'll update the XDR at some point. There's some rumors of maybe some weird monitor in the middle that has promotion and all those other bells and whistles, but I suspect that's not true. I think that someday this this monitor that will get updated, you know, the studio display will have ProMotion when it gets, you know, reasonable to make the technology becomes available and the pricing is right to put it in a monitor about that cost. And um, I, I just feel like they're going to have two now, the big expensive one and the one for everybody else. And I think this is pretty good. I mean, were you tempted at all by one? Uh, no, I mean, I love my pro right. display. I love the size of it going from 32 yeah. to 27, I think would be a bit of a bummer. So I'm, I'm happy with what I have. I actually considered it a little bit like, well, what if I got rid of sold my pro display and bought two of these? Cause one of the things I don't like about the pro display is the lack of a built-in camera and speakers yeah, or speakers. And, and I've got all this junk all over my desk because of it. But then you look at that 32 inches and you're like, wow, this is really a beautiful monitor <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I shouldn't own it, but I do. So I guess I'm just going to run this thing into the ground, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that, that's my point of view too. Yeah. Um, but, but either way, I think for you and I had kind of unique circumstances that led us into these, these monitors. But, but I, I do think that uh, if I was out in the market for one, I would not buy the $400 monitor. I would buy this one. The, the thing that's nice about this is that it is the whole package, right? That you do have speakers that I'm sure sound really good because all of Apple's speakers sound really good. Yeah. Uh, the camera that offers the really cool uh, feature from the iPad called Center Stage where it can move the frame around if people walk in and out of the picture. And it's got uh, Thunderbolt in that can charge uh, your MacBook Pro. So if, you, if you're a a laptop as a desktop user, you know, the single cable life is here and you get three USB-C ports on the back, you know? Uh, so for me on the back of my pro display, I have my webcam plugged in. Cause again, the pro display doesn't have a camera and I have my Logitech mouse dongle plugged in. And yeah. then I keep the third one empty with a USB-C to a adapter, just hanging out of it for, you know, those random things I need to plug in and having honestly, like if you have a Mac mini, or Mac Studio or MacBook Pro, that plus these three ports, like I think that a lot of people can can live without uh, something like a Thunderbolt dock or USB C dock these days. You know, agreed, agreed. Especially with the Mac Studio. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's got ports for days. So I, I was excited to see that like they brought back all of the great things about those like legendary Apple monitors, like the Thunderbolt display, which was like a whole hub inside of it, right? This is the same thing. Like you can have just a display and just your computer 
and that'd be all you need. And it looks really good. And you can get two of them if you want to and have a, a pretty awesome setup. I did consider that too. I did consider very briefly, like maybe I do two of these, but uh, I was like, you know what? One's enough. I'm good. I'm, like, I'm going to stay put where I am. But this is what we've wanted for years yeah. and years. And, you know, if you are looking at one of these new Macs or you're using, a, a you know, some uh, other brand display, like next time it's time to replace it, Apple now has something for us. And yeah. it's great. Like, I, I honestly, I don't, from a product perspective, I don't have anything to change about this. You know, I'm sure at some point, ProMotion or 6K or something will come. But for what it is, it's a it's an excellent panel. The thing looks great. I mean, I love that. I love this modern Apple design language so much of the Pro Display and the iMac. Everything this looks awesome. Yes. I mean, just like finally, finally, we have something that that works for everybody. Yeah, I I'm just so happy. I understand the frustration with the missing large iMac, but I just overall, I feel like the Mac is in such a good place. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about earlier, and I just want to mention briefly, I think as much as I like the Mac Studio, I think it's ugly, <laughs> you know, and um, I I do, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that the decisions were made to put ports in it and all the functionality stuff I totally am on board with. I just kind of wish they made it look a little better. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it is a, uh, it's a real function first kind of design. Yeah, like that's again, good, right? You know, yeah. again, from Apple, like in five years ago, it's not how this would be done. Agreed. But Agreed. ports on the front, wild looking forehead, a bunch of holes in the back that are kind of ugly. Like sign me up if it's silent and fast. So it is pretty, pretty cool. But I also feel like there's a universe where they could have kept all the ports and made it just as functional and made it more like just make it a cube, you know? Like, let's like lean into that a little bit, you know, make it something. I feel like there was a better design because it, it really, it, it looks like, it looks like a really tall Mac mini. And I feel like this computer deserves better than that. I don't know. I don't, is that weird? No, no. I mean, I don't, I don't really disagree. Uh, I, you know, I think it, it is definitely a little chunky and I think, all of Apple's promo spots of it being like right at the front edge of someone's display. Like no one's going to put it there. Like it's all going to be pushed back to the back of the desk. I'm sure someone's going to make something cool where you can mount it under your desk. And you know, that's fine. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by ZocDoc. Find the right doctor right now with ZocDoc. Sign up for free at ZocDoc.com slash MPU. Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be refreshingly pain-free and a simple yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors with verified patient reviews and see what other real humans had to say about their visits. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit, and just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that is right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor. 
finding a doctor is just so hard because there are so many variables about their availability and, of course, insurance. Even the list the insurance gave us when we were looking for a doctor wasn't accurate. So we'd call somebody and make an appointment only to find out that they still didn't accept our insurance, even though the insurance said they did. So uh, ZocDoc was a great way to get around this because ZocDoc puts those filters in for you. It lets you find only doctors in your insurance and only doctors that have time for you. It just simplifies the process. Look, if you're sick, you want to see a doctor. You don't want to be messing around with all this nonsense in terms of getting an appointment. And ZocDoc solves that for you. Anybody who needs a doctor should check out ZocDoc. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash MPU. That URL one more time, ZocDoc.com slash MPU. And our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, so on to some uh, feedback in this, you know, supposed feedback episode. Yeah, we got to talk about the Stream Deck again because yeah, we man. touched a nerve with that one, man. <laughs> Stream Deck stuff, so many things. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, follow up in the forums. We're going to put a uh, link in the show notes, and there's a lot of people talking about it. A lot of people buying new Stream Decks. A lot of people that already had them, they're doing cool things with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like the Stream Deck is one of those things that is a perfect fit with Mac power users. Like, you mean give me buttons that I can customize the look of and make my Mac do cool stuff? Yeah. Sign me up, and that uh-huh. it's it's not a very hard sell, you know. Yeah, and that's that's where I wanted to start. A, a lot of posts in that thread are. Uh, we're talking about ways to make buttons. And that's something we sort of touched on in the episode, but didn't really go down too much. But um, several really nice applications. Uh, the first one is Button Creator. This is a, a, a Mac app. It's in the Mac App Store. And it lets you create buttons just for the Stream Deck. It's like pretty single purpose. It's $4. But it has some really cool tricks uh, up its sleeve. So you can set, of course, like backgrounds or gradients, which gradient buttons look, can look really cool. I don't, mine are mostly solid color, but this makes me want to do more gradient things. Yeah. And it has a predefined library of 2,400 icons, or you can use any emoji, or you can supply your own image file, and it will export square PNGs that you can go and drag into the Stream Deck software to uh, to make your buttons and yeah. honestly you probably don't need anything more than what this this offers this is so impressive and the the list of these icons it can do and how it lays them out is is really nice it was um it was an insta buy for me when i saw this it just makes so much sense and uh for 4 bucks it's cheap Mm-hmm. And these uh, these icons are SF symbols, as far as I can tell. So, yeah. like the the trick I was talking about in the show of taking SF symbols and exporting them, and then like all, all the all the nonsense I was doing, this app has done the work for you. Yep, I don't think it's the full collection of, of SF symbols because SF symbols is now up to like thirty three hundred images. Yeah, uh, so maybe this app will get an update to include them because. I think there's some weirdness about an app basically like showing you the full libraries of SF symbols. I think Apple's a little picky yeah. about that. Yeah. But if you're looking for like one way to make buttons for your stream deck or other products like it, 
this button creator for Steam Deck application gets my full thumbs up. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, there's another app called Bakery. Um, and this is another app store app. And you can design assets and screenshots, but people are also using that to make their Stream Deck buttons. Yeah. Yeah, it is more full-featured than the Button Creator app. Bakery does a lot of things, but you can definitely use it for just this sort of simple use of making beautiful buttons. Uh, But you can also do, like, the... You see them in App App Store. Yeah, Yeah. App Store previews, app icons, lots of things with this. Um, It's free with with an in-app purchase, and... uh, it's it's pretty cool. They can do a lot of stuff, but probably a lot of stuff that most people don't need, I think is maybe how I would say it. Yeah. And then there's another app called Image to Icon, which I have used in the past this app for creating icons for like drives and things on my Mac, you know, when I get into the custom icon phase and I want to grab a, an image. But that would work too. Yeah, so this you're giving it a a photo like say of your dog and put it in there. You tell it what sort of icon it's going to be. And then it sort of takes that image and makes the icon out of it. So if it's a folder, you can make it like cropped to the image of the folder or like a, like you said, like a drive, then you could have it as like the label on the top of the drive. It's really cool. And it, it is again, like really flexible, but a nice way to make these, make these buttons. Even if the yeah. name hurts me, the name hurts me a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, it feels very like, like 20 years ago, how you would name an app. Uh huh. That's okay. But the, uh, and it has in-app purchases as well. And, um, it looks like it's cause it's, it's been updated since the last time I used it looking at it here as we prep, but yeah, um, there's a lot of ways and even like the, you know, the ways we were talking on the show, just take an image file and crop it to a box works too. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of things, but people do want to have cool looking buttons on their stream deck and there's quite a few ways to do that. Yeah. The the last one I'll point out is the Mac Stories Shortcuts Icons Pack, which they sell. There's a, a classic version and a color version. And they came up with these to make shortcuts icons yeah. and put them on your home screen. But they did such a good job on them. Several people were like, I've been using them as buttons on my stream deck. And because they're from a collection, they all have the same sort of look and feel. And so that's another one that if you're if you're struggling to find good icons, I would check that out too. Now, do you like when you make a new stream deck action, do you immediately like cool make a cool button for it? I try to. Uh even if it just starts life as something like a, as an SF symbol and I may come back and tweak it later, I yeah. feel like I want a nice looking button because I gotta see it all day, you know? Uh, quite often I will actually make a button, like stick around for a week and make sure that it actually gets pushed before I spend the time doing an icon. But with some of these apps now, I think I may make it faster on my icon generation. Um, the Also, integrations with the Stream Deck were a popular topic. The ATEM is a project, a product made by Blackmagic. I actually own one. I own the, like, the entry-level one. Mm-hmm. It's like $300, and what it does is you can plug HDMI ports into it the one I have has four, but they have them with eight and even more than that. And then it has a single USB-C out that plugs into your Mac and it spoofs your Mac into thinking 
that the ATEM is in essence a camera. And then it's a hardware camera switcher. So I can do like a Star Wars fade between the camera that looks straight at me and the camera to the side. But even better, I can plug like an iPad into it because iPad can get a USB-C to an HDMI cable. And then I can switch to that. And when I'm talking to people or doing lab stuff, I can be switching those cameras between devices and my face just by pushing one big button on the ATEM. It's very handy. And I'm, I'm really happy with it. Um, but, uh, you know, having to push the buttons on that thing is just another panel I have to deal with. And uh, uh, listener, who gave us this? Was it Glenn? I think yeah, so. Glenn. Yeah, uh, found an app called Companion, which is made to like as a hardware switching control device with Stream Deck. And it supports a lot of stuff. But ATEM is one of the many things it supports. If you have multiple devices and you'd like to control them through your stream deck, definitely check out companion. Yeah. It seems really, really cool. And they have a really good support system around this. So they have, uh, they've got like Slack groups and a user group. So you can report, uh, bugs and request features. I mean, this is a pretty like niche thing, but if you have this problem, like you have, uh, these two devices and you want them to talk to each other, you want to be able to, uh, to work this way through the stream deck companion seems like the right answer. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, uh, I, I really can't get over how well this whole show resonated with people though. Um, I guess just a lot of folks didn't realize how awesome the stream deck is because I've heard from so many listeners that got them and are having so much fun with them. It's just, uh, it is really cool. That's that's all I'm going to say. You know, since we made that show, because I'm like a mobile guy now and I'm working all over the house sometimes, and my stream deck is on my working desk downstairs. Right now I'm up in the bedroom recording the show today because my daughter's down there with some classmates. Um, but the um, I uh, I miss it. You know, like if I hadn't, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm building a dedicated studio space, I probably would get a second one. Honestly, just keep it up here. You st- are you tempted to get the uh, the big second one, Steven, so you can have like the full panel? <laughs> the one XL is still still working yeah, for me. I think you're good. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one thing we had talked about on that show, a little personal feedback, was the plug-in to do the world clock. Yeah. And I end up have, have having kept that. So I can like very quickly get, glance down and see what time it is somewhere else. And it's very helpful this time of year because the United States and Europe don't observe daylight savings time at the same time. Yeah. And so normally Europe, you know, say Mike Hurley is six hours away from me. Well, sometimes he's five hours away from me or sometimes seven because these things don't line up. And it's kind of nice. Like, Oh, right. I can just glance down and actually see what time it is there. And, uh, and so I've kept those, you know, I've dedicated five whole buttons to it. I can probably get rid of the Eastern one if I needed another button, but right now it's all working out. So that has been a, uh, a change. You know, we tried, I tried that during the episode prep and it stuck around. Yeah, no, it's very useful. I have individual pages for the podcasts, like, because in addition to um, some of the podcast production stuff, I like push a button and it opens the shared folder on Dropbox and I push another button and it runs a keyboard master script to copy the current file to that shared folder. So I've got a bunch of weird stuff I'm doing with Stream Deck, but on the individual pages for each show, I've got the time zone for my co-host, which is nice. That's good. 
um, the uh, we also we got pointed to a focus mode stream deck workflow, and this is uh, based on my other show, uh, Automators. We have a forum for that show too, and somebody wrote a cool uh, automation to get access to your focus mode and and set them via stream deck. Yeah, this relies on the JavaScript for automation framework on the Mac. It seems like the focus mode system isn't fully exposed in ways that, that may be easier to work with. Yeah, yeah. But you can have uh, through this through shortcuts, you can you can use the JavaScript automation framework. And so, some people, including our friend TJ, have put together Stream Deck actions with shortcuts or with Keyboard Maestro utilizing the JavaScript action framework to get and change focus modes. And so there you can scroll through here. There's a, there's a shortcut uh, that someone named uh, Judas put together. You can, you can download and play with, and it's pretty cool. I mean, if you are using automation in a way that, you know, a lot of people do have like, right, I'm preparing for something. I hit a button. It opens the right tabs. It starts my time tracking. And now it can put me into a set focus mode. It's pretty sweet. It's not as easy as I wish it could be. And hopefully Apple makes focus modes easier to deal with in terms of automation. But this isn't a bad start because the JavaScript stuff isn't that bad to deal with. If you've written Apple script, JavaScript seems pretty normal. So yeah, uh, pretty cool. And and to be fair, you can set a focus mode with a shortcut. That's not difficult. It's a one step shortcut. But the problem is you can't pull focus mode to find out what the current focus mode is. And it's just, I mean, there's just like a couple extra steps we need to really take the biggest advantage of, of um, automating focus mode. Do you use focus mode much? I guess, I think, did I ask you this reason? I think you, you're not really all in with it yet, right? No, I've got a few. Um, I use the driving one. I've I set up the sleeping one, actually. Yeah. Uh, I used to not do D&D at night, but... The last couple of months, I feel like I've, I've wanted to, to experiment with that. And I do have one for recording that basically turns off a lot of notifications. Yeah. And it's okay. I feel like every time I use it, there's some more tweaking I need to do. And that's really my complaint about focus modes is that it's so fiddly. like, And it needs to be, right? I, I need full control over it. Yeah. But some of the UI, especially on the Mac, just feels weird to set them up. But I'm not all in like some people are, but I'm definitely getting more and more into it as time goes on. Yeah, I'd, I'd argue it's not fiddly enough. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess that depends how much you use it. Um, yeah. Yeah. The The other thing that's happened with the Stream Deck is since we recorded that show, I got delivery of my Stream Deck pedal. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I shared the initial impressions in the Max Sparky Labs with a video, but... Um, now I've been using it a week and I am sold on this thing. I mean, of course I am. Right. Uh, but it's a, um, I think it's $90 or $80, which is, you know, not cheap, but it's a nice heavy pedal. Everything made by Elgato. I continue to be a fanboy for them. In fact, I want to follow up on that in a minute. We got some feedback on why they're so good, but it's a nice heavy pedal. It comes with springs. Like, so there's three pedals on it. And you can actually take the bottom off and change the springs to change the tension in the pedal. So if, if it's too loose or too tight, you can change it, which I thought was really a nice touch to put that in there. And they even have stoppers. So like the center pedal, there's like a center pedal 
and then there's two on each side of it. If you want to, like if you find yourself keep pressing the center pedal accidentally, you could actually turn that turn that off as a switch with these rubber stoppers. They just made it very customizable. It's got a cable, but the cable is long enough that if you have a standing desk, you can still run it nicely up to your computer without having to worry about it yanking loose when you raise your desk. Um, I, I tried before a Bluetooth pedal, and I just found it didn't work. You know, it was one of those Bluetooth page turning pedals, and I was programming it as F19 and F20, and then I could tap on it and make it a screen, um, a, a keyboard maestro trigger. I was going to add it to the keyboard maestro field guide, but I didn't feel comfortable recommending it because it wouldn't hold a connection and half the time you'd press it and you wouldn't know. And and the other problem with it is the pedals were all identical. So you, you couldn't tell kind of by, what do you call it? Foot braille, you know, yeah. dealing with your <laughs> foot, you know, you couldn't tell which pedal you were on. So you'd hit the wrong one. The way this thing is made, you can tell which pedal you were on by the feel. And because it's cabled, it always works. And um, I don't think you need this in every app. I mean, but there are some apps where it's super convenient, like editing for um, uh, screen flow and audio stuff. It's very nice to have the forward and backward stuff on it. The center pedal, when I'm, I can actually turn off my mic using my Elgato Wave XLR. I can, I, it's, it can act effectively as a cough switch. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, it just there's some things where I find it very useful. I don't think if I was out spending the whole day in Microsoft Word, I'd particularly need it. But um, uh, like even just like starting and stopping a screencast recording with my foot is way easier than a keyboard shortcut. And for whatever reason, it's great. And the the way it works is it just shows up as another Stream Deck in the Stream Deck software. So I've got the big Stream Deck and then I've got the pedal. But the pedal doesn't have thirty buttons on it; it has three, and you can change it but you can make the buttons contextual. So just like everything we talked about in the show, if you want to say when I'm in the mail app, the buttons do this. And when I'm in stream screen flow, it does that. You can do that. So you can get like a set per app buttons or even just have different profiles of buttons. And um, it doesn't give you a lot of buttons. Of course, it's, you just press with your foot. But if you think that would be convenient, this is the best iteration of that, you know, pedal control that I've ever seen. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I just had an idea. I'm going to program the left pedal to be start dictation. I think that would be like another Ooh. one where it would make sense. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, it's 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 a good device, and um, if you're if you're liking your Stream Deck, you may want to get yourself a pedal. Yeah, it's cool. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Cornchip wrote into the forums about about why Elgato is so good. Uh, they come from the Apple world in Germany. Uh, reading from Cornchip's uh, post, Marcus Fest was the original creator of Toastburner app. Oh, boy. Founded, <laughs> yeah, Remember that I, thing? I, I do, I do. And founded what became Elgato in the 90s. And um, and a bunch of original German makers of Logic Pro were in on it. And they've made a bunch of products over the years. But, you know, he ended up saying, hey, they had some forgettable products over the years but persistence pays off and i whatever they're doing i feel like they've got the right values uh, because like the uh, even this pedal the fact that they put the springs in so i can change the tension of the pedal that never would have occurred to me you know usually the company would say okay this is what the pedal they're we're going to pick how strong the springs are and we're going to make them and that's what the consumer gets and they're like no let's give them a way to change them if they want i 
to me, that's like another like little example of why Elgato is a company that continues to get my money. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, the integration is so nice. And like we talked about on the show, it's just built from the ground up with flexibility in mind. And that's what we want as power users. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our good friends over at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, used by the biggest creators on the web. Use it to generate sustainable, recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. Here at Relay FM, we have used Memberful for a really long time for our membership, and when we relaunched it in 2020, a pretty unstable year, it really proved to be an excellent choice. We can use it for setting up people in our member Discord, sending newsletters, hosting those newsletters on the web now, and integrating with our membership podcast. It's all really easy with Memberful to give you all the tools that we need, and it's really let us diversify our income as a business. Maybe your business was like mine and the financial situation you had changed over the last couple of years. Now you need a proven solution that's quick to launch so you can stabilize your business and grow. Memberful handles the hard stuff so you can focus on what you do best while earning revenue quickly, while leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. And it comes with all the tools you're going to need, optimized checkout workflows, Apple Pay support, easy membership management, great dashboard analytics, free trials, gift subscriptions, and so much more. And Memberful seamlessly integrates with many tools you're already using, including lots of fully managed integrations with popular services like WordPress, MailChimp, Discord, and more. So get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU. There's no credit card to get started. That's memberful.com slash MPU. Go there now and check it out and see what it could do for your business. Uh, There's also... uh, again, from TJ, some conversation about the duplicate versus save as functionality. We talked about how the the yeah. document model for macOS Lion is what is in preview and how it is uh, quite honestly pretty confusing. And you can, through the keyboard system preference pane, which we've, we've spoken about, set up shortcuts to make duplicate work more like save as and so that's tricky to talk through but i will have that in the show notes uh for you to go read and if you like me have found the duplicate functionality always just a little weird to get used to then this could be a a nice way to make preview act you know more like it like it did uh before yeah you know it doesn't bother me i'm fine with it i just i'm not sure that it's any better and it just adds a degree of like delay right because you're like Mm. okay how does this one work and it just depends on which apps do it usually it's apple apps yoram wrote in to remind us that a few years ago with mac os sierra apple brought over some of the media rendering tools from ios to the mac and and preview suffered i totally forgot about that i had two and uh, when they wrote in i I replied like can you point me in the right direction for when this happened but this was with Mac OS Sierra and you know Apple over the years has done a lot of work to unify code base between iOS and Mac OS and that doesn't mean features right that means like okay like the PDF rendering engine you know way yeah. beneath the hood and preview that which also powers 
the PDF viewer in Safari and Quick Look, which is both on the Mac and iOS and iPad OS. And this uh, this had caused some issues, especially with some of the filtering that we had talked about, where you can take a PDF and export a grayscale version or uh, you know a smaller file size. And there were also some per- real some some real performance issues with Preview in this time. But with High Sierra a year later, uh, Apple seemed to have put all those issues to bed. I mean, to the point where like neither of us really remembered it while prepping for this. But yeah. uh, so thank you for for writing in about this. We wanted to, to get it on the record, but it's uh, it's all gravy now. Yeah, and, and JF taught me something. Um, we talked about you know filling in text fields inside a PDF and preview. And I was not aware of this feature, but if you option drag a text field, it duplicates it. So rather than copy and paste a text field, if you get got the text just the way you want it, or maybe you've got your name and you're going to fill in five blocks with your name, just option drag it and it duplicates it at the moment you drag it and off to the races you go. Thanks, JF, for that. I, I had no idea of that feature. So that's preview. Uh, it's yeah. still an amazing amazing Mac app. If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go, go check it out. Yeah. Agreed. I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about journaling. We did when you first joined the show, we did like a whole episode on day one, but we haven't really talked about it much since then. And I wanted to kind of check in with you. Are you still using day one and what are you liking, not liking about it? And what's your workflow? Yeah, I'm I'm still all in on day one. You know, in the time since that episode, they sold to Automatic, which is the company behind WordPress and Tumblr and, and Simple Note and a bunch of other cool things on the web. Yeah. And so far, day one has just continued as it has uh as it has gone on, right? There haven't been these big changes that make me uncomfortable using it. And and that's what Paul and the team at day one had said, you know, that it was going to continue on the track that they were on and uh, they've been good to their word. So I, I don't have any, you know, feelings about wanting to look elsewhere because they sold. Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of points on that. First is when they bought it, I think it was, was it Matt Mullenweg, the guy at, at automatic? I think that's yeah. the guy. And, and he, I believe, wrote a post about spending time with his dad towards the end of his dad's life and how he found day one just a vital app for him as he went through that and he fell in love with this app. That's the reason they ended up buying it. But but you don't have to trust them. And, and honestly, I do believe Automatic is a, a privacy um, a company that cares about privacy. I don't want to say that privacy is their priority because you never know, right? But it seems like they um, they take it seriously, and uh, but they've kept end-to-end encryption in. I, I've got a bunch of emails from people saying, oh, automatic bought it, I'm going to leave. I'm like, so long as they still have end-to-end encryption, you don't have to trust them because they can't unencrypt your stuff. If you use day one, turn on end-to-end encryption today, and then you control the password and the data is, is much safer. Mm-hmm. I'm still using it. So I, yeah, I still have too. my... Yeah. I still have my setup that I had on that episode where I have uh, a handful of journals. Uh, one is sort of general, and then I have a couple more sort of more specific ones. Uh, I've got one that I write my dreams down in because I have just wild dreams and like to, oh, nice. like to record them. Um, I've got now, one. What's the uh, what's the craziest one involving me? Are there any involving me? I don't know. There probably will be tonight now. 
Yeah. We'll see. I definitely have them of like the group of us are at WWDC and something wild happens. So I feel like you, you might have a dream where I come over and I've made a plywood base for your Mac studio so we can like screw the wheels in from your Mac pro. There you go. And we're just going to have this little tiny Mac studio and it's going to have these massive wheels, four <laughs> wheels underneath it. It would look so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, it would look badass. It would be like a hot wheel, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 in fact, I think we're going to do that. That's not a dream, Stephen. I don't know. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a plan is what that is. Yes. Uh, so I've got that one and then, and then I got a couple others. Um, but I, I have in the time since that episode leaned more into sort of like daily tracking. So I have a handful of, of sort of metrics that I want to look at over time. And those I keep up with, um, in, uh, whatever field notes notebook I'm carrying at the time. And the way I do it at the back of each notebook, I just make a grid and down the right side is, uh, the five or so things that I want to to keep up with. I can tell you what they are, or I'll tell you what a few of them are. Um, sure. Physical activity, mindfulness, uh, family and work hours. So those are a, a few, I got a few more, but those are some ones that I, I want to kind of just keep tabs on throughout my week, make sure that I'm getting my exercise time in, that I'm getting time, uh, mindful, mindfulness time in, uh, making sure that my work hours fall within the bounds that I want them to. And each sort of page gets seven days and I just go through and in the grid kind of mark how, how those things are going each day. And I have a journal in day one called logging. And so I will take at the end of the month, uh, I will take photos or scan those pages. And so I have this like historical record of, you know, Hey, I really was really good on exercising to this certain point, And I can see kind of where it picked back up because for me, it's hard to track those things in like regular journal writing, right? Cause yeah. you got to go through a bunch of, a bunch of stuff and it can be hard to like really pinpoint those things. But a simple, hey, does it get a check mark that it was good or doesn't get anything in case I wasn't happy with that particular aspect of that day gives me a, a really nice visual way of keeping up with something over time. Yeah, I'm struggling with that right now because I like the idea of like tracking habits that I want to get better. And they're not really like tasks I put in OmniFocus. They're really just kind of habits or rituals I'm trying to develop. And historically, there's a great app called Streaks. And I've used streaks for that. Yeah. But streaks for me is almost like too much data, you know, if that makes sense. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, don't break the streak, but all of a sudden it's like some days I need to break the streak, you know, my kid is sick or whatever. And I don't Mm -hmm. have time to deal with that. And I feel like it's a little too, too intense for me. And so I've been lately putting in, in the daily, cause I have like a daily note in day one. And the the template has some check boxes at the bottom. Like, yeah. did you do your best to do, you know, did you take your pills? Did you exercise? Did you, you know, work on Sparky OS? All that stuff. So I just have been using check boxes. But an analog system with paper makes kind of sense too. And and I really like that feature about day one that you can uh, take a picture of something you write down. I think it really gives you a lot of options. I've got a couple few fancy pins. I'm not as fancy as, as your other partner, Mike Curley. <laughs> But um, between Mike Hurley and Mike Schmitz, you know, they're always telling me about the paper and blah, blah, blah. And I do find sometimes journal entries that I handwrite um, get to the bottom internally for me better. 
because forcing myself to slow down to write requires me to spend more time paying attention to my brain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, but what I do with those is I just, uh, in day one, they've got a great scan document button. You press that button, it auto, it auto puts the, the, um, the borders around the page and captures it. And I really realized how much I need to use that a couple of years ago when we had those fires and we, we got evacuated twice. And, um, the first time we, the evacuation order came out, it was very sudden, you know, the police were driving up and down the street and it was very kind of like, um, apocalyptic. Right. And so I got out, we got the pictures off the walls. I got the computers, we got the, the, the basic stuff. And then we got, we went down to San Diego to stay with a family member and, I realized I left all my journals under my desk. So it's like, if the fire came, everything I'd written down in the journals was like vapor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I still use the books and the paper, but not routinely. Yeah. Just, I used to use them when I really have a thorny problem. And then I take pictures of them and save them to yeah. day one. Then the, the other problem that recalls, and I did a, a, a webinar on this a couple of months ago. We'll put a link in the show notes. I did a whole webinar on, on how I journal and why I think it's important. But the, um, the, uh, the people say, well, if you take a picture of it, you don't know, you know, day one doesn't do OCR in handwriting. And honestly, nothing that I've ever seen can do OCR in my handwriting. Um, so, you know, you don't really know what those words are. So what I do is I just write a quick summary in text once I import it. Like if mm-hmm. I do a journal entry and I'm thinking about Mac power users and the, uh, you know, something with my daughter and whatever, I'll just put like the subjects that I, that I was thinking about or tags in the day one entry. And then I can always go back and find it that way. Yeah. That's good for me. Honestly, the, the real benefit of journals is the, the creation of them, not going back and reading them anyway. Yeah. You're, you're writing it down for me at least, as I write things down, uh, which most of it I do in field notes, but sometimes I just open day one yeah. and type directly. It just kind of depends on wh- what the day has, has entailed. For me, the process of writing it is the process of processing it, right? And once it's written, I've done what I need to do with it. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I do, and I know some listeners are doing all their journaling in Obsidian, particularly if you use the Obsidian sync service, it's also end-to-end encrypted. So I think that's good. I toyed with that for a few months, but ultimately stuck with day one. Um, I still am of the camp as much as I love Obsidian. I feel like it's not everything, you know, mm-hmm. there are things that are good in it and things that are okay in it. And there are better tools sometimes. And I just feel like that day one is the better tool. I do, however, sometimes import notes into Obsidian from day one. You just block and copy and then put them in. And then I can reference them later if I need to. Yeah, that's cool. I agree with you. I think tools like Obsidian or Craft or maybe even Apple Notes, if that's kind of where your PKM stuff lives, like yeah, they don't have to be everything. And one thing I like about day one, because at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of files, right? But I like that it's laid out with a timeline and I can see this day in history and see, you know, pictures of yeah. my kid eight years ago on this day. Like I like those journaly features around it that I wouldn't get if I picked up all that data and moved it somewhere else. And so that's one reason it's been so sticky for me is that it's a journal and it means that it comes with these cool features based on time. Yeah. And if day one ever like gets bad, that's going to really suck, but (laughs) I can get my data out or I can, I can also print it off as a PDF or there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways I can preserve the data. Totally. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash MPU and make your next move. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create with Squarespace. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can use insights to grow your business. If you've ever wondered where your site visits and sales are coming from and which channels are most effective, you can analyze all of that in Squarespace. Once you've got that data, you can improve your website and build marketing strategies based on your top keywords and most important products and content. You can also stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Why not encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on a journey to becoming loyal customers? Just start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Plus, built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. You can also get started with best-in-class website templates and customize it to fit your needs. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business to find the perfect starting place and then customize it with just a few clicks. It is so easy to make a website entirely your own and beautiful with Squarespace. I've used Squarespace for years. Just last week, my daughter created a new Squarespace website. She wrote a play that they're going to be performing at multiple colleges next year. So now they have a website for it. She built a Squarespace site in a couple hours. It looks amazing. And it was all done with the easy to use tools at squarespace.com. I love that she did this entirely on her own. I had no involvement. She didn't need any help from dad. And it looks gorgeous. I'm just so proud of her, of course, because she wrote a great play, but also just happy that she was able to put this together so easily. And I know of no other platform but Squarespace where that could be possible. So head over to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain that is squarespace.com slash mpu and when you decide to sign up use the offer code mpu to get 10 percent off your first purchase and to show your support for the mac power users our thanks to squarespace for their support of the mac power users and all of relay fm all right we like closing these feedback episodes with uh some stuff that we're playing with and uh what you got for us uh, I, uh, I already told you about my new Stream Deck pedal. That's yeah. my most exciting recent acquisition. But I also just wanted to take a minute. This is something I bought six months ago, and it's the Apple MagSafe battery. And it came out, everybody made fun of it because it was so expensive. It's $100 for a battery that has like half the capacity of a $50 battery. But I just really like this thing. And, you know, it's perfect because... It's small. It fits in my pocket. And like, as we're recording this yesterday, I flew from Milwaukee to Seattle and then I got stuck in the airport and then I flew from Seattle to LA. And then I drove from LA to, to, uh, down to where I live. My daughter's car that doesn't, the, the cigarette lighter thing is broken. So I couldn't have a charge on my phone. And I got through the day fine because I had this little battery and it's just, um, super convenient, you know, to stick it on the back of it. Usually I wait until the phone is like a half to a third, um, left in charge. And I put it on, I let it charge until it gets up to like 
80%. I think trying to get it to 100% with these batteries doesn't make sense, but just get it up to, it gets up to 80% really quick. And then I've still got some more left in and a full travel day. If you need extra battery, this thing is there for you, but you don't have to worry about cables or a big heavy brick. And um, I get that this thing costs too much, but it sure is convenient. I wanted mm-hmm. to take my hat off to the Apple MagSafe battery. Yeah, my wife and I each have one. Uh, it will charge her 13 Mini almost completely. You know, the Max Pro that uh, that I have is a little, yeah. a little bit different story. But uh, you know, on vacation as we're recording this, I leave in a couple of days. We will both have them, and I'll have them fully charged. And they just stick on the back of the phone. They stick really well if you use a MagSafe case with with uh, you know the silicone or the leather. Mary and yeah. I both both use those, and so yeah, we've got a couple and. I like that I don't have to have a cable, right? Like it charges uh, via lightning, just like the phone does. And it just clips on. So if I don't need it, it's like really easy just to take it off as opposed to the old battery case. Remember those? Yeah. It's like, well, if you take it out of there, then your phone is caseless. And like some people don't like that. And that always felt more finicky to me where this thing just like slaps on. If you don't need it, you take it off. And it is pretty cool. I'm with yeah. you. I think it gets a bad rap, but I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, Daisy has a MagSafe case too. And like we're at Disneyland together and her phone starts losing charge. I just, we smack it onto her bad, her phone and it charges mm-hmm. her phone too. I mean, it's great. Another feature about this thing that I like is when I just went on a trip, um, I plugged, once I got to the destination, I plugged the battery into the lightning cable and left it on the nightstand. And at night I would just set the phone on top of the battery and it charged the phone through the battery. Yeah. And uh, if during the day, this was a trip where I spent a lot of time kind of at the destination, so I didn't need the battery. But if we decided to go out and I thought I might need it, all I have to do is yank it off the, the cable. I don't have to bring an extra cable for it. So I just, you know, it's very convenient. I don't like that they're only white. And, but other than that, I I think they, uh, they got it right. Uh, that said, uh, my friend Liana just bought the Anchor one, and it has a built-in stand, and it's like $60. So if you're balking at the price um, on Amazon, there's another one from Anchor that is pretty good, too. But, but you know, the Apple one is less bulky, and that's a real advantage to me. Like, I, um, if I'm walking around Disneyland, I can stick it in my pants pocket and, like, forget it's there. Yeah. I'm looking at this. Stand is kind of cool. Yeah. You can uh, put it up on a table and watch something or FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea. So I wanted to talk about the Chipolo card spot. So this uh, came out or was announced a while back. It is a Find My enabled roughly credit card sized accessory. It's actually as thick as like three cards. It's pretty, yeah. pretty thick. But yeah. it it lets you have Find My for your wallet. Now, I know we, we've talked about your wallet, how it's a, a hard plastic thing that Full shuts, you just like gaff taped a, an it's air terrible. tag in there. It is terrible, honestly. But uh, some of us, uh, you know, have different different setups. And this thing, I ordered mine when it was announced, and it finally showed up in the mail the other day. Uh, it's thirty five dollars, or you can get a two pack right now for sixty dollars. And it is Find My enabled, so it shows up in the Find My app. If I leave my wallet behind, I'll get a notification: Hey, your wallet is at so and so address. It does not have U1 support. So if you have an AirTag on your keys, you've probably experienced this where 
you tell find my I've lost my item and it'll have you walk around like wave your phone around and an arrow will come up on your phone and point you to the direction, you know, to this to the couch cushion your keys are under, right? Which is a really cool user interface and a pretty cool feature. This doesn't support that, but to make up for it, the sound that this thing makes when you tell it I have lost you, please make a sound is way louder and way more noticeable than AirTags. Uh, in fact, just this morning, so my RelayFM co-founder, Mike Hurley, is in town. He came in my, my studio, and he had an AirTag that was making noise for some reason in his bag. And like we sat down like, do you hear that? And turns out, you know, I don't know why it was going off, but it was. This thing, if you hit the sound, you will know. And yeah. <laughs> I like that feature. Especially yeah. for something like a wallet where like you may, you know, how many times have we all done this? Like you leave your wallet in like your jeans and then you put them in the dirty clothes, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like you're digging through laundry. Like it's pretty cool. Um, the one kind of thing against it is the thickness. You you know, if you have a, a minimal wallet, you may have to to pick some things not to carry with you anymore. And the other kind of knock against it is that the battery is built in. So on the AirTag, you can twist it apart and it's like one of those little you know, uh, watch type batteries, like a, uh, you can go get at the drugstore, right? Uh, this, the battery's built in. Now they do have what they call the renewal program. So you can replace, uh, after two years, they said it's going to last two years. At the end of that, you can send it back for recycling for free. And if you do, you can get your next one for half price, which I guess would make it like $18 or something. 18 bucks over two years, not too bad. Uh, and they do say that, you know, they're going to recycle them properly. Um, but that is something to contend with. It's not great, but it's not as bad as it seems when you hear, hey, this thing has a sealed in battery and it's only going to be good for two years. So I feel like they've done a, 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 as good of a job as they could maybe with making this um, the smallest environmental impact that they can for what it is. All right. I am not sold on that hearing the story, you know. Um, three credit cards still is pretty thick, right? In your wallet. Yeah, it is. I mean, for, for me, I mean, and like my main credit card is like a pretty thick metal one. It's yeah. like, it's thicker than the Apple card. Or if you have like the Amazon prime visa, I think it is a thicker than that. Like it's, it's got some, some bulk to it. So I just recently saw a friend who had the Nimalist wallet N I M A L I S T. Okay. And um, I put a link in the the document. I want you to look at these because uh, the one I saw was really impressive. It like held the AirTag really good. It, looking at a lot of these AirTag wallets, you know, they make wallets now that have an AirTag shaped hole in them. A lot of them look kind of cheap, like the tag is going to fall out. And this one wasn't like that. I saw one in person and I'm seriously considering buying one uh, because I think ultimately that's that's going to be the solution for me. It's it's just a leather wallet with a AirTag kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, bolted onto it. What do you think of these? Are you looking at them? Yeah, this looks pretty nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's still pretty minimal. They have a man. The carbon fiber one is hideous, but they have some leather ones, vertical and yeah. horizontal layout. And uh, yeah, this looks pretty cool. I mean. There's nothing you can do about the AirTag being like a bump on the side of it, but the way it's yeah. integrated in looks pretty good. Yeah. I think I'm going to get the um the uh, the one I saw was the 
it's on sale now for $50. So hopefully it still is when you guys see it. But oh, sold out. Never mind. <laughs> I was gonna get the blue one. The yeah, blue the blue one sold out, but they got they got uh they got black and you know sort of more traditional leather colors. Yeah, all right. But either way, I I feel like um I think I'm gonna have to try one of these instead of the Chipolo because then I can actually have it point the arrow at it and um and I can still get like a few credit cards and some cash into it. I, I like a minimal wallet too. But I, the idea of having an AirTag in my wallet is a very attractive idea. But it's clear to me that my gaff-taped version is not acceptable. So I need to, I need to find something better. Yeah, this looks like a, a pretty good compromise between those two things. Yeah. You, would you would you be okay if I got this one? It wouldn't yeah. make you mad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do it, and we'll we'll talk about it on a on a future show. All right. I'm getting the walnut brown one. All right. That's very. Uh... It feels very sparky, you know. Yeah, you know, I always like the Indiana Jones vibe. Yeah, right? yeah, he definitely had an air tag in that hat, taped in the top of it. Totally. I mean, it kept coming back to him, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the um, did you get that thing when you use Apple Pay where it always gives the wrong address? I have that happen all the time. I, don't I know think you, I think it looks at your contact or something. I don't know, or maybe it's in the wallet preferences. Yeah. Well, that was shockingly easy. I just bought that wallet. Yeah. So Apple Pay on the web is dangerous. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, uh, that's cool. Maybe I'll have something to talk about next time we do a feedback episode. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors, one password, ZocDoc, Memorful, and Squarespace. I'm really looking forward to trying to stump the genius today with my Mac problem. Uh, so we're gonna be talking about that in more power users, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>